Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, January 23rd, 2022. The share ID numbers for Friday, January 21st are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 18,440. That's one eight. Four four zero, and for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, eighteen thousand four hundred and forty-one. That's one eight four four one. This morning, a vision for you presents the central fact of my life. Most of us have come to Overeaters Anonymous as a result of the pain, the suffering, the frustration and despair we experience in our disease of compulsive overeating. We come to OA looking for a way out, looking for a solution which will free us from the bondage of our affliction. The big book was written as a set of directions for doing the 12 steps. The promise of the 12-step process is one of a spiritual awakening, a psychic change, a personality change sufficient to overcome compulsive overeating and bring about recovery. The 12 steps are a specific method for producing this personal and vital transformation, an exciting journey of growth and change. The results give us freedom from compulsive overeating and a relationship and connection to our higher power deep down within us. As a result of our spiritual awakening, God commences to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. We are rocketed into a fourth dimension, beyond the physical, into a spiritual way of life. A new world, new attitudes, new ideas, new emotions, and a new way of living comes into view. Our disease of compulsive overeating was a progressively downward spiral. Now that our Creator has entered into our hearts, our 12-step way of life is a progressively upward spiral. Joining us today to share her experience, strength, and hope is Katie G., a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Katie is dedicated to our way of life and has experienced a transformation as the result, and she's here to share her experience with us today. And a warm welcome and an appreciation for your service. Welcome to you, Katie G. Hello, Leah. Um, Thank you for that wonderful introduction. And good morning to my fellows. No matter how many times I do this, my heart races. And um, I just want to take a moment to breathe in God and breathe out Katie. I hope she doesn't show up today. (laughs) All right, fellows. My My name is Katie G. I'm a recovered compulsive eater. And 
I really wanted to do this talk today. My my process in Overeaters Anonymous has not been linear. Um, it's been quite cyclical where I'm trudging, working, 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 and then all of a sudden something opens. Um, I just want to share some stats. Well, first I want to say I pray that God give me the word to that somebody or someone needs to hear and I I will never be able to repay the debt of gratitude that I owe to um, the women and men of Overeaters Anonymous. You've not just given me back a life, you've given me a life. And that is unbelievable. So um, the central fact of my life today is God. And I talked about that for a long time, but I never experienced it. You know, a lot of times throughout my recovery, which I've been in the rooms for 17 years. Sorry, let me give you my stats. 17 years in OA. I did the steps out of the big book for the first time about 11 or 12 years ago. I had a bad relapse with exercise bulimia six and a half years ago. And for some reason, a day at a time, God has graced me with abstinence and a recovered way of living. Um, I have been 228 pounds and I've been 110 pounds. I have had two abstinent pregnancies and the weight is just a symbol. But I really want to talk about God today. And um, if God doesn't work, you, every time I say God, just substitute your word for God. We get to do that. For simplification, it's easier for me to say God. So um, I want to say that um, what I've learned from this book most recently is my real purpose is to fit myself to be of maximum service to God. And I do that by getting abstinent, by following the 12 steps, by getting a new manager, a new employer, and then my new manager and my new employer implores me to help others through the 12 steps who then get to God, who then work the 12 steps. It's like a circle. I will say that I have the disease of alcoholism, compulsive eating-ism, way before I took my first bite. In fact, I probably could have used um, some compulsive eating or drugs at a very early age. Um, I remember my earliest memories of feeling like a hollow bone that I knew in my head that I should be someone else doing something else with some other people at some other time. I, I felt that fundamentally before I took my first bite. I want to say also, sorry, I'm a little scattered, <laughs> but bear with me. Um, I didn't realize that the whole book of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, the whole point 
is to develop a relationship with God. And by helping God's kids, I'm working for God. And most recently, I have learned that I have a new foundation where, I don't know if you know this, but God is supposed to be the most important relationship in my life. And I can talk about that, but I hadn't had an experience with that until recently. So my new order of things is God is first, others are second, and I am last. Um, So the central fact of my life today, I have not actually made this up. Um, The chapter, There is a Solution, guides us to the central fact of our lives today is is the absolute certainty that our Creator, capital C, has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us, which we could never do by ourselves. Now, if you're new and none of this is making sense, just sit back and relax. Um, Because um, when I came into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, I did not want a relationship with God. I just wanted my life and my body weight to stop looking like an EKG, right? But this whole program is about, this whole program has given me a life, it's become my life. And the solution to my disease is not abstinence. The solution to my disease is getting abstinent, absolutely. But that's where my problem began, right? Because I have alcoholism, not alcoholism and I don't know how to live my life. And what the book further promises me is that um, my job, there's nothing left for me to do but pick up this simple kit of spiritual tools laid at my feet. We have been found much of heaven and been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence, which we have not even dreamed. So the spiritual toolkit is the 12 steps. Now, be sure you know I'm not saying abstinence is not part of that spiritual toolkit, because it is. It's part one, section A. Um, I also want to acknowledge I'm going to do my best to cover this topic. I'm going to fail. I'm going to disappoint all of you, (laughs) because there are so many references to God in the first 164 pages, and I only have an hour, and you guys are only going to, or I have 45 minutes, and you guys are going to not be able to tolerate me. So, There are many references to God, um, and you know that they're references because they're capitalized, so like higher power, creative intelligence, employer. So for our purposes, I only looked up the word God. Um, I want to really make clear this is not my God, okay? This is a God that works for you. There is a solution says there's, we have, I have no desire to convince you There's only one way by which faith can be accomplished. If what we have learned and felt and seen means anything at all, it means that all of us, whatever our race, creed, color, whoever you are, and I'm sure they'd add today a lot of other things, we are the children of a living creator with whom we may form a relationship upon simple in understandable terms, as soon as I am willing and honest enough to try. All right, fine, Katie, so let's just go to church, right? Let's just go to temple. Let's just go to the altar. There's a problem. I'm blocked by God without these 12 steps. 
So hold on to your seats because I have to tell you, I am blown away, Dr. Carl Jung. This is the connection between God and my ism. Ready? Listen to this. I'm not even kidding. Carl Jung said in a letter to Bill W., my craving for alcohol, and please, if I say alcohol, I do mean food, just sometimes it works easier, and I'm not supposed to change the words um, to honor AA. My craving for alcohol is the equivalent of a low-level spiritual thirst of my being for wholeness, my union with God. So that little girl who I remember, who felt like a hollow bone, I sought out food as a solution because I needed union with God, because I was so empty. But I grew up believing I had to prove myself to be loved, even to God. My earliest memories of prayer are sitting at the dinner table and praying for my next-door neighbors and their seven kids and their dogs and their hamsters and their birds and the rabbits and the squirrels because I I didn't know why God wasn't with me. Like I just, I thought God was Santa Claus or Mary Poppins or something, right? And, and he wasn't showing up for me. So I came into OA with exercise bulimia, anorexia, and I'm not going to go into the mess of my, of my drunkologue because if you're here and, and it's Sunday morning, whatever time it is, you're not, you didn't come into OA by mistake. And I really want to talk about God, but I'm telling you, I... 228 pounds and 110 pounds is a lot of work as a compulsive eater. I've done it all. So check this out. So my eyes have been opened to the big book because what happened was, so I told you that I did the steps out of the big book 11 years ago. And if you know my voice, you know that when the Vision for You meeting first started, um, I... I was, and I continue to be a big book thumper, and I don't apologize for that, but I was a bleeding deacon, and I really used Overeaters Anonymous to point out how much I knew, and I could really tell you all how smart I was, but I really missed the point of this book, which is God, and check this out, page 29, we're only on page 29, There is a solution. It says, each individual in my personal story am to describe in my own language, so God, Buddha, Jesus, Allah, I mean, I don't, we don't say that, scratch that, but my own language, and from my own point of view, the way I establish my relationship with God. But the thing is, when I came in, I was so scared of God. And I blamed people in churches and temples. I was one big resentment. I have to tell you that my experience is that when I was saying I'm spiritual, I'm not religious, it's because I still had a a ton of resentments against the people in the churches and temples. And what my book tells me is I'm quick to see where religious people are right, make use of what they offer. And when I did the work out of the book, I saw that, God 
that we're all fallen people, right? We're all broken people. We're all walking around with, with broken hearts, or I am. And hurt people hurt people, right? But um, I released the people that I was resentful towards in religion because I could see that I was just as judgmental as them. But again, to, to bring you back, if you're bristling about the word God, I want to talk about what our book says about God. So stay with me because to some like me, right, the word God brought up a particular idea of him which someone had tried to impress upon me during my childhood. Absolutely. I missed the beauty of the forest of religion because of the sum of the ugliness of the trees. But much to my relief, agnostic says, I discovered that I need not consider another conception of God. When, therefore, I speak to you of God, I do mean your own conception of God. And if you can't tell, I'm not talking. I'm quoting the book. So when I came into OA, I was so, um, I was desperate. I wasn't so desperate, but I was desperate. And I came into a community, a wonderful community of OA, and they were so loving because you'd say anything and they'd go, thank you, God. And I'm from Boston. And they'd be like, thank you, God. Right? And I would ask how I am. They'd ask how I am. And they'd say, no, Katie, tell me, how, tell me that you're abstinent. We're not really asking you how you're feeling. So I learned to say, people say, hi, Katie, how are you? And I would say, abstinent and grateful. And they'd say, thank you, God. So I didn't really believe in God, but what I knew is that everything I had been using hadn't been working. So I started saying, thank you, God. And agnostic says, at the start, this was all I needed to commence spiritual growth, to affect my first conscious relationship with God as I understood. So I got abstinent, and I became such an ego, right? Which is shocking to all of you, I know. So I was like, my recovery, I'm working really hard on my recovery and my abstinence and look what I'm doing and da-da-da-da-da. Now, today, what I know is that it's only by God's grace, love, and mercy that I am sitting here at 8.48 a.m. I know what I ate yesterday. I could tell you what I ate last year if I found the notebook. And I'm abstinent, right? Like, that is a gift. And it's not me working hard at my recovery, which is something I've learned in the last three months. Because if you know me, you know, like, as of three months ago, I was still saying how hard I'm working, right? I'm only working on recovery because, again, of the grace God, of, of God and, and love and life. So I had some initial transformations. Um, and um again i want to say like back at that big book thumper i focused on the methodology and if you know me you know i gave a talk i don't know when it was but on worshiping the methodology i even gave a talk on it but i was still worshiping the methodology and what i've learned recently is this new analogy that i love i was worshiping the treasure map right so like i thought the big book was god i thought the big book was going to be was my god but what i missed is that God is God. God is the treasure. And saying that the big book is God is the same as saying that the treasure map is God, right? And you're looking at me and you're saying, Katie, there's a treasure. That big book, those steps get you to God. What are you doing? And I'm like, but look at me and my pretty map. And you're like, but look at me and goals, right? 
So I got a lot of external reinforcement. I was I was still lost, but I was where I, w- I meant to be. The other thing I want to say is I was very scared of mentioning God in the rooms of OA. Now, this is going to be a little bit controversial. Let's talk about it in the question and answer segment. But if if people haven't you if if when I came in, I was so desperate, dying, and doomed that even though the word God freaked me out, I knew I had no other option. If you're hiding from saying the word God and God has saved you or higher power has saved you, my big book tells me I don't apologize to anyone, page 68, for depending on God. I can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. I trust my God. I never apologize for God. Instead, I let him demonstrate through me what he can do. Again, I'm not saying my God, but I'm not going to sit here and apologize for mentioning God because if the word God is going to scare you, there's a lot more that's going to scare you because as one of my beloved sisters says, there is one thing that needs to change when you're in recovery, and that is everything. Everything about my life has to change and continues to change. So again, um, I used, so, okay, so 17 years in the room, a lot has been happening. Uh, Vision for you is my God. And I'm not saying vision for you isn't powerful, but remember, we're only a community, a meeting, a healthy OA meeting of sick people. This isn't Well People's Anonymous. Like we all are in here because we have an illness. And I had no relationship with God. I wanted my sponsors to be God. I wanted my body to be God. If you were friends with me, I either knew how to hold you hostage or to cut you off. Um, And I didn't get down to the idea that there is a loving God inside of me. And again, I believed I had to work for God. So I kept desperately searching for God. And if you know me, you know part of my story. So I came in, I was on the vision for you, rocking that, right? And then the worst things happened to me. I got married. Well, first of all, he proposed, which you all know how many 10 steps I did on that, right? So Hubs finally proposed. We got married. I went through a lot of trials and tribulations to have children, and recently I said to someone, listen to this, this is how much I have to learn. I said, well, I did so much work to get pregnant. And she goes, you did not. That was God. And I was like, holy humility. Please, God, save me from my ego, right? Like everything is the Katie working hard show. So anyway, so married, kids, be careful of what you wish for. Because I was sitting there, and my friends, I have everything I've ever wanted. Sorry, externally, I had everything I ever wanted. I had a husband. I had children. We have a beautiful house. I have a career I never imagined. And we live in the suburbs. Like, what what more do I want? Still an empty bone. And remember, page 98 says, job or no job, wife or no wife, I simply do not stop eating as long as I place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence on God. Burn into my consciousness that I can get well regardless of hubs, of children, of a career, of COVID, of money, of anything. 
The only condition is I trust in God and clean house. But how do I trust in God if I don't even know God? So I thought that I could go deeper with God just because I had a desire. But I want to share with you, the last couple years have been painful for me, not because of the things that have happened externally, but because of what's not been happening internally. And then making lots of mistakes. I love the AA 12 and 12. On page 72, are you ready for this? It says, the process of gaining a new perspective was unbelievably painful. So I'm sitting here today because the process of, you know, um, learning what my ego is, learning what I don't know, has been painful. It was only by repeated humiliations through messing up in OA, yelling at my husband, yelling at my kids, and then doing it again. And desperately, have you ever known what it's like to be so desperate to change and you're not changing? And then you feel like a fraud. But I was forced by repeated humiliation to learn something about humility. Hey, Katie, you didn't do that work. It was only at the end of a long road marked by successive defeats and humiliations and the final crushing of my self-sufficiency, please God crush me, that I begin to feel humility as something more than a condition of groveling despair, e.g., help me, I'm a victim, please, I'm so sick, right? Every newcomer in AA is told and soon realizes for himself that his humbling admission of powerlessness over alcohol, food, is his first step toward liberation. So I have had many crushing blows. I've been driven by fear. I love talking about God, but I wasn't waking up. I wasn't opening my eyes and saying, hi, God. I didn't have a relationship with God. I had a relationship with the external. And so what I'm learning by staying in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, that my life is none of my business. And I've had to, again, surrender everything because I haven't been having enough God. I haven't been having a relationship with God. And I can tell you that right now I'm in the midst of a fourth step that is literally hurting my head. It is turning me upside down. And that the central fact of my life today, I am waking up with God, I am reading about God, I am talking about God, I am working on my steps, but I'm not doing that. God is doing it for me and helping me hear who I need to be. And I wanted to do this talk because a lot of times, for a long time, I thought I would get recovered and ride off into the sunset with my ponies and rainbows and life would not happen. But I have to tell you, if life is lifing all over your, over you, get used to it. Like this is a chronic condition. None of us are getting out free, right? Life is life. It's ugly. It's beautiful. But what is so revitalizing is that I can tell you I am a recovered compulsive eater. I am not suffering from compulsive eating, but I am struggling with the ism of my disease, which is why I continue, continue, continue. And I'll tell you that the God I was living with was a three-dimensional God. My three dimensions are width, breadth, and height, right? 
but I didn't have the relationship, the experience with God. I wasn't talking to God. I was controlled by my intellectual pride. Go back and listen to me. You know, even last year or yesterday, I get controlled by intellectual pride. Now, what is intellectual pride? It is pride about intellectual manners. So, for example, you know, for me being like, oh, well, when Bill wrote this on page 22, this is what he was saying. Or when I did everything perfectly for IVF, this is how I had my babies. Or when I'm a perfect woman, I did it like, so you hear my ego. And I worshipped my roles. And I thought, wow, like my life is perfect now. I have everything I want. I'm perfect. I have to tell you that caused me to smash into the face of my character defects over and over again. And the only thing that is changing me is repeated humiliation, getting through the steps, and getting to God. If you still don't want to talk to God 30 minutes into my talk, I have to take you to page 175. Dr. Bob's nightmare. They lay, they lay it out pretty clearly. So if you've bought into the idea that this is our basic textbook, I want to share with you what our founders say about God. Oops, that was my watch. If you think you are atheist or agnostic, a skeptic, or have any form of intellectual pride which keeps you from accepting what is in this book, I feel sorry for you. If you still think you are strong enough to beat the game alone, that's your affair. But if you really and truly want to quit eating for good and all, he says drinking, and sincerely feel that you must have help, we know we have an answer for you. It never fails. If you go about it with half the zeal you have been in the habit of showing when you are getting another drink or bite, your heavenly father will never let you down. Boom. I mean, that's, <laughs> there's really nothing else I can say. Mike dropped, they said it better than I did. So for me, I have to learn what it is to live with God, which again is this beautiful cyclical motion of entire absence, getting through the steps, this um, I think I forgot that in helping others, I'm doing God's work. Um, somewhere in the book, and I have it later in my talk, but I'm prompted to say it now, we fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and to those around me. So here's what fitting myself to God looks like. God, I offer myself to thee, right? Show me who you would have me be today. So let's say I want to do service. Let's, let's do some real-time examples. Let's say I want to do service, and I text one of uh, the people that I text, and I say I'd like to do service. Here's what fitting myself to service means. If I don't get to do the service that I want to do, that means that God doesn't want me doing it, right? Which I never realized. Here's what fitting myself to service looks like. Calling newcomers saying, how can I be helpful? If they say you can't get away from me, I, I walk away, right? And again, I have struggled in these areas because I've wanted so just, I'm going to, got because a lot of times you hear that quote, I'm going to be of maximum service. No, it says I must fit myself to be of maximum service to God and to those around me. Let me tell you some more examples of fitting myself to service of God. 
hey, God, where would you have me go? What would you have me be? What would you have me say and to whom? And um, I'm on the phone listening to my meeting, and um, child number one starts screaming. (laughs) But I'm on my meeting. I'm on my meeting, and I need my medicine. So child number one, you need to take care of yourself. No, no. So if you know me, like I think the last talk I did was on discipline, right? And so I get up in the morning and I'm like, 84 to 88, this prayer, that prayer, da, da, da. Well, try having kids on that, right? So when it was first happening, I'm like, what is going on? Like these children need to get together that I am trying to do God's work. I'm not even kidding. And then all of a sudden, God hit me over the head with a two-by-four. And it's like, Katie, I'm fitting you to be of maximum service. Would you do your service? Katie, 84 to 88 is screaming in your face, go get her out of her crib, right? Because God does not make too harsh terms with me who honestly seek him. And I didn't understand that when I was a big book thumper only. Like, I didn't understand that if I did 58 minutes after my step four, that I still could get God, right? Like, I get so worshiping what the textbook says that the textbook becomes God. And it didn't work for me. So I'm going to um, move on. I... I really want to tell you that there are so many beautiful references to God and depending on God. I can't even go through them all. But let's do a few, and then I'll wrap up, and you can ask me questions. All right, so we don't even get to page one. We get to the fancy Roman numerals, which I never learned, so I'm just going to read the letters for you. <laughs> Forward to the, first, to the second edition, XVI. Though he could not accept all the tenets of the Oxford group, he was convinced of the need for moral restitution, or moral inventory, so step four, confession of personality defects, step five and six, restitution to those harms, eight and nine, helpfulness to others, 12, and necessity and belief and dependence on God. We haven't even gotten to Bill's story. And the text is already telling me this is about belief and dependence on my sponsor. Just kidding. This is about belief and dependence on God. So then Bill, in his beautiful story, tells me on page 10, he, he, I relate to him, right? He says, when they talked of a God personal to me who is love, superhuman, strength and direction, I was irritated and my mind snapped shut against such a theory. But again, what helped me and what I believe may have helped Bill is that I got into so much pain. I needed God to be bigger, right? So today, thanks be to God, again, like the book says, I am quick to see where religious people are right. I make use of what they offer. But my friend sat before me, and he made the point-blank declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. That's Bill's story, right? And I heard in meetings, and I thought I was depending on God. I could talk about God, but I was judging others. I was hating God unless he gave me what I wanted. I was playing God. I was using sponsees. I was playing God in my husband's life. I was playing God with my body. And I was desperate, right? 
I was dealing with the ism of putting the food down. Even as a recovered person, life is lifey. But do you know what Bill says? Listen to this. Thus, I was convinced that God is concerned with me when I want him enough, right? So all I have to do, like a lot of times you hear newcomers, and I used to say this, I'm not giving up. And then one of our blessed sisters used to say, give up. I want to tell you, just keep giving up and do what the old timers say. At long last, I saw, I felt, I believed. Like, my heart today is brimming over with God, and there's nothing you can do to take that away. Like, yes, the externals of my life are beautiful and messy, but when I get insecure or when I'm not insecure, I can put one hand over my heart the way I am right now, and I have access to a loving God that's so in love with me and I'm his daughter and there's nothing I can do wrong even when I mess up all over the place and he's there for me to counsel me and love me and guide me and it's access that's accessible to all of us so in my most recent go-round of the work what I'm learning again and I know I said this before but it bears repeating because I used to say it all the time I have a new order of things. God first, you second, me last. So that means that my job is not to just make my husband happy, right? My job is not to make others happy. My job is to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and those around me. And if that makes other people happy, that's like a side thing. So let's keep going. So we know the solution, what seemed at first a flimsy read. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think I'm sharing with you, my relationship with God has been a flimsy read for a very long time. Um, I don't have enough time to talk about it, but spiritual experience talks about, you know, we have a profound alteration in our reaction to life, and it can't be brought about by myself alone. Now, I will tell you that, like, some people have white lights. I've not had white lights. I'm having continuous experiences of the educational variety. So let me tell you one thing, or a couple things that have changed for me since I've been doing uh, another four-step. The first is I don't feel the need to scream about my recovery anymore. I don't feel the need to prove my recovery. It's a really big deal for me. Like to not present myself as a bleeding deacon who's only going to be okay if I share every day or every third day and da-da-da and I got to have X amount of sponsors and da-da-da. Like I, I gave myself over to those lies and it drove me and it drove people away and I, I wasn't worshiping God, right? And then another um, role for me that I worshiped is like I've got to – I've got to make my husband happy, and I would say I would spend my whole day trying to make me try trying to make him happy, and he wasn't happy, and then I would get really angry, and then I would cry to all of you, "What's going on?" Right? And the thing is, since doing the work again, I'm seeing my character defects, which are controlling, fear, um, dishonesty, aggression, 
and I'm not perfect, but let me tell you what. Yesterday, my husband and I were talking about schedules, which is the worst topic in my house. And my husband, I said to my husband, well, what time do you think you'll be done? Which is like the worst question for me to ask him. And he said, don't pigeonhole me. And I could hear him. And guess what? I did not get mad because God was with me holding my hand. And I said, okay, you're right. I'm not going to pigeonhole you. And he looked like he was about to kind of defend himself because every other time that he would say that to me, I would yell, right? But, it, but we didn't. And I gave him a high five and I said, yep, that's right. That's our solution. Or my children, like I have a one-year-old and a three-nager. It is loud in this house. And they don't obey me, right? They don't cater to me. But now when my three-nager is having a meltdown and she smacks her sister and she smacks me, which all three-nagers are supposed to do, I'm not screaming because I'm not angry. Because if I am angry, I say, okay, God, please help me. And I say, daughter, give me the Kindle. Go in your tent. And I'm not screaming. Like, I can't even tell you. Quite as important, or I'm going to, quite as important was the discovery that spiritual principles solve all my problems, page 43, right? And um, this relationship with God is so vital, and I have to keep going deeper, and that's what the book keeps reminding me. So I'm, there's still so much to talk about, and I'm not going to talk about all that. I have all, I have like 17 pages of notes. I will not bother you with that. But um, what I'm, oh, when many hundreds of people, this is an agnostics, are able to say my consciousness of the presence of God, and that's what I need to get to, is a consciousness of the presence of God. And let me share with you the difference between conscious contact and awareness. So awareness of God is the simil- is similar. Let's say let's go for a drive, right? And I did steal this from an alcoholic. So we're going for a drive, and I'm aware that there are cops. There are cops. There are traffic laws, right? So that's, that's awareness of God. That's who I have been. What is conscious contact? When the cop is behind me flashing the lights, right? Consciousness is perception of what is in my mind. Um, it's presence, right? And that's why I have to pause when agitated or doubtful, um, which is what it says in the latter steps. God has become part of my makeup. He's my friend. Um, And I didn't always get this um, relationship between helping others and God. But if you think about the third step, right? God, I, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Now, two weeks ago, I was saying this with my sponsor around a four-step issue, and she said, please, she said, maybe part of your work is to help others. Step three, relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help, right? Not to make me happy of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. And then the sick man's prayer, I ask God to help me, like as I'm getting unblocked in steps four through nine, I ask God to help me to demonstrate towards myself and others with the same tolerance, pity, and patience I would cheerfully grant a sick friend. 
Now, I used to love to just say that they're sick. I'm sick. That's why I'm agitated. Like, if I'm in conscious contact and communion with God, there's nothing that that disturbs me. One of the hardest promises in this book is I can be sober, considerate, and helpful, regardless of what my husband says or does, regardless of the volume of my children screaming, regardless of what people are saying in OA, regardless of where I am in my life, regardless of my bank account. Whenever I'm disturbed, I can be sober, considerate, and helpful. If that doesn't astound you, I don't know what's going to astound you because it totally astounds me. So what I'm learning is that this book continues to babysit me to stay in conscious contact with God. Like as we continue through our step work, and I'm sorry I'm like pushing us through the rest of these steps because I want to hear from you. It talks constantly into action. Every day is a day when I must carry the vision of my sponsor's will. Oh, no, it doesn't say that. Where I must carry the vision of Katie's will. No, it doesn't say that. Sorry, I'll stop joking. Where I must carry the vision of God's will into all my activities. Here I ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought or a decision. After making my review, I ask God's forgiveness. Under these conditions, I can employ my mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave me brains to use. Before I begin, I ask God to direct my thinking. I let God discipline me in the simple way I have just outlined. I mean, God's everywhere in this book, my friends. I just want to wrap up talking a little bit about step 12. So contrary to my belief, step 12 actually has three parts. Have I had a spiritual awakening as the result of KDG? No. Have I had a spiritual awakening? Am I waking up to God as the result of this treasure map? No. Yes. Sorry. Yes. I am waking up to God because of the steps. But am I awake? Am I alert? Or am I asleep dreaming I'm awake? Am I asleep yelling at my family and then getting on the line and telling you how beautiful I am? Am I asleep, um, you know, controlling sponsees so that they stay with me because I need to be of maximum service? Or am I fitting myself, right? Like, have I had a spiritual awakening? Am I in conscious contact that the cops are behind me and the lights are on? It's a hard question to answer. I'm not always spiritually awake. But that's why I have the steps to continue to go deeper in a conscious relationship and experience with God. I must fit myself. So the second part of step 12, contrary to my understanding, is we tried to carry this message to alcoholics. So remember how you're calling me or I'm calling you and I'm saying none of these sponsors are staying with me. Like what's going on? It's Nobody's listening to the great KDG. Well, last time I checked, it says we tried to carry the message. Like, I'm just trying today. If nothing I've said is helpful to you, all right, well, I tried to carry a message of depth and weight. I'm trying to tell you that for me it's about entire absence, the steps, God helping others, the steps, God helping others, right? But it's not about 
getting anywhere. Like I'm not respond. Like I'm not a better person if I have 50 sponsees. Like God doesn't like me better. I just need to try. And the other thing that I'm learning is it's not my message, right? Thanks be to God that they wrote it down because it's not my message. <laughs> it's a message that was penned by Bill. I believe it's from God. So I need to try and, and, and help others. But what does that look like? I don't know. God, you show me. Where would you like me to be of service today? I do have a primary purpose. That little girl who I told you about, remember her? So I always wanted a thing, right? Like I wanted to be a gymnast or a swimmer or a thing. And today I have a thing. My primary purpose is to stay abstinent and be in relationship with God, however he wants me to do that. And um, I've shifted from having no purpose to a primary purpose. Um, the third part of step 12 is practicing these principles in all our affairs. So am I helping God's kids? Am I being helpful or forceful? Um, I don't have a monopoly on God today, my friends. I just have an experience where I'm a recovered compulsive eater, anorexic and bulimic, and I lived for a long time uh, in this program, not very long, but I, I keep smashing up against walls, and my most recent wall was a dry relationship with God where my emotional sobriety was very much compromised. And I had to go deeper. I have to go deeper. And I can't force that on other people. And I can't change myself. But you know what? In finding God, I'm finding myself. That little girl who is so empty, like, again, I have my hand over my heart. Like, I have a God in my life today. And... um and we continue to learn and grow with each other. Um, you know, one of my really good friends taught me um, my new primary purpose to be is to be one of God's girls, right? Like, it's not to serve myself. It's to be one of God's girls and show me and study and learn and grow. So I've shared a lot about, or I'm trying to stress to you, like, differences that I've seen as I wrap up that, um, if you knew me six months ago, a year ago, if you and I bumped up and had conversations and I seemed like a porcupine, um, God is softening my rough edges. If I'm hard, if my tone of voice is hard to hear, it's not because I don't like you. It's because I have fear. And when I'm afraid, if I'm not talking to God, I'm like a porcupine. I'm not very nice, but God is softening me. And I know he's changing me. Um, I see it every day. I see it every day. Um, as a wife, I can tell you that um, this last time I had a baby, I went through very severe issues after I had the baby. And I screamed daily. And it was work daily not to scream at my family. And I don't scream today. If I have to run from the room, I'm not screaming. I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm so much better and it's not about me. It's God. God is making these changes. So I've shifted from being a shell of a person to be one of God's girls in a state of recovered abstinence. You know, like I said at the beginning, life gets really lifey. 
But this program teaches me to find God by doing the 12 steps and entire abstinence, getting a relationship with the treasure, and asking God how I can fit myself to him. So um, God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. I need to ask him in my morning in meditation what I can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers come if my own house is in order. What that means is that everything has to be in order. So I can't be using a drug, right? And I need to be in relationship with God. I need to do the steps and I need to be in conscious contact because obviously I cannot transmit something I haven't got. See to it that my relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. I want to share to you that um, our big book um, in step 11 does encourage church membership or outside exploration. And I'm not trying to like reference church. It's just the first thing that's coming to mind. So if you're on step 11, like we're encouraged to go and be among other communities. Because for me, what I found is part of my dry God is that I wasn't understanding that God is an entity outside of the big book. Like God is this huge entity that, that guides me and tells me how to live my life and, and what's right and what's wrong. Like gives me a moral compass and we are encouraged to do that. As long as I, the great fact is abandoning myself to God as I understand him. And that, you know, I don't understand God. I stand under him. But I also um, am deepening my understanding of God through pursuing outside issues that we can talk about another time on the phone in private. I need to admit my faults to others. I need to clear away the wreckage of my past. And I need to give it freely for fun and for free. Um, we will be with you. Uh, surely you will meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. And then just the final thing I want to say, there are two fellowships. There is the capital F of the spirit, capital S. And there is the fellowship of the spirit, all lowercase. The fellowship F, capital S, is the fellowship of the spirit I want to be in. It's where I'm God's girl. It's where I'm entirely abstinent, working the steps, and continuing to grow in understanding and effectiveness. The spirit of the fellowship is truly fun, but it's not what's going to keep me in these rooms, which is where I need to be. Um, I owe my life to Overeaters Anonymous because... God brought me to OA, and OA is bringing me to God, and God is bringing me to all of you, and hopefully, if I work with you in any way, we might go put your hand in God's hands, and the cycle continues. So, as one of my beloved sisters and I say, yay, God, (laughs) or yay, higher power, and Leah M., with that, I pass. Blessings. Thank you so much, Katie G., for this authentic and inspiring, very inspiring presentation this morning. Truly a message of hope and possibility. Thank you so very much. Share ID for today, 18,448. That's 18448. Katie's contact information will be given at the conclusion of the recording. 
so you'll need to stay tuned for that. We will transition to a question and answer segment now. Questions only, please. You can pose a question by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Ginger C. This is Elaine from New York. Suzanne K. Hi. Robin L. Suzanne K. Rick J. Okay, let me tell you who I have. Let me tell you who I have, and I missed somebody. Ginger C. Somebody else came in with Ginger C. Jessica C. Okay, thank you. Elaine Greenberg, Elaine G. Gotcha, Elaine. Okay, so I have Ginger C, Jessica, Elaine G, Suzanne K, Robin K, Rick J, and Tamara C. Robin L. And Rick J, Tamara C. That's a good group. Let's get started with that. Beginning with Ginger. Good morning, Ginger. Hi, Leah. Thank you so much for your continued service. And Katie, what a beautiful beginning. Whoopsie, Ginger. You got muted. Star one to unmute. Okay. Can you hear me now? Indeed. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Fantastic. So, Katie, one thing you just recently said at the end of your share is this getting to God, you're getting back to yourself. And I think that's probably some of the most important work we do because we want to cease fighting anything and anyone. We want to have real tolerance. Love uh, is the most important word in my vocabulary. And Thich says to be beautiful means to be yourself and you need to accept yourself. And I think that's some of the hardest work is we know this God, this beautiful connection that you just shared about, that the pages help us to connect to um, because this God loves us and has always had care and protection since conception. But how do I love myself today? How am I holding myself? And I think part of my pain in the relapse and the return to that crazy first bite is that I don't know how to hold that pain when it still comes up. I neatly evade and ignore. I run away and I'm not very good to myself. So I'm just curious, this relationship to yourself, because you did mention that by this connection that's growing from the experience you're having, that you're coming more home to Katie. And I think that's just such a beautiful message to share. So I'd love to hear a little bit more on that. Thank you. Thank you, Ginger. I really appreciate your question. I have hated myself since the time... I was a little kid. I have my disease um, speaks to me in ways that I would never vocalize to anybody. And if I knew my girls were um, talking that way to themselves, I would literally figure out a way to remove the thoughts from their brains. (laughs) I consider that my disease. Um, So I ask God to see myself with his eyes, hear myself with his ears, um, love myself with his heart. Um, And it's a lot of work. And there are days um, that it's more work than others. Um, I do feel like by doing esteemable acts, I get self-esteem. So the more I can... 
um, practice these steps, the better um, I feel like I'm in union with God. But I think that my my biggest work is is realizing the abundance of love. Like God is just love. And God just wants you to, or for me, God just wants me to like look at him. Like one of our beautiful teachers tells us that God is as close as the breath. Breathe in, friend. Breathe in. And if it's too painful, call one of your God fellows, right? Like that's why I do this work with others is so they can remind me who I am. I'm not strong enough to remind myself who I am all the time with God. Um, and so when I, but the great thing about abstinence and recovery is that I get to, like the trick of the disease for me, Ginger, is that it speaks to me in my own language with my own tone of voice. So it's about having the clarity of my absence and step work to be able to say, okay, that voice that wants you to go in for plastic surgery right now and says you're not okay unless you have this is lying. That's that's your lower power. And this is the voice of God. I don't know, Ginger, if that answers your question. I don't know that I will ever be entirely free from it, but I can tell you that I am not tortured by it as much as I used to, and that is amazing. Thanks, Ginger, for your question. Jessica P., your turn. Hi, this is Jessica C. from uh, Ontario, Canada. Um, Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for your share. I just really felt the, the realness of your desire to connect more fully with God. Um, so I really appreciated it. I, you said something that really touched me. You said that, that God is concerned with you and that he's so much in love with you and that you're his daughter. I just really felt, um, I guess, the, the depth of, of God's love and the depth of the connection between you and God. Uh, you might have just partially answered this with the last question, but like, how do you get there to that place of feeling that connection with God? Thanks for your question, Jessica. Great to hear you. So for a long time, you know, God is not a feeling for me, and that's just my understanding of God. Um, I really had to come to the fact that God was a fact, right? And so I'm a feel-goodaholic. So I want to be like, <laughs> the world is a 10 at Disneyland every single day, right? But um, I'm not always going to feel good, and that doesn't mean that God is gone. For me, again, I, I just want to direct us, or me, to the um, this program of recovery, because the way I get to God is by being unblocked. And I can't experience God if I have another God. What I mean by that is if I'm eating in any way, if I'm engaging in any, like, so I just, for the purpose of this meeting and those of us who don't know, um, OA defines abstinence as the practice of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards a healthy body weight. So I don't get to define that body weight. My doctor does. And it's really vital. I can't get to God if I have another God. So I stay abstinent. I work the steps with God. 
And then I just hang out. Like I just keep going through the work and I keep trying to help others. And you heard like I've had some really big destructions of my ego by going through the work again. And it's awesome. It's awesome. Because once that's all aside, I have access to God. But just like a toilet, I'm sorry, you've heard me say this metaphor, and it really sticks with me. My ego gets flushed down, and then it emerges again. That's why we're suggested to continue, continue, continue intent. I don't know if that answers your question, but again, there's like a, for me, the way the book is outlined is there is an order of operations. Entire abstinence and sobriety will lead me through the steps where I am dependent on God working through other people. I get to depend on God, but that's not 100%, 100% of the time. I have a God squad. In um, the AA 12 and 12 um, uh, Tradition 5, it talks about even the most spiritually minded people are seek counsel with others and I am not the most spiritually minded person and so I do absolutely rely on God working through other people first first word of the first step is we I know and humans are going to disappoint me but I that you guys are with me we're trudging together I hope that answers your question thanks Jessica C for your question Elaine G your turn Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Elaine. I'm from New York, and uh, it was a pleasure listening to this, and uh, it really helps my spirituality, and, you know, vision for you. A- anyway, um, when you had uh, spoke, you spoke about the six man's prayer. I was wondering what page that's on in the big book. Sure. So, in step four... I know you all are ashamed that I don't know this off the top of my head. Um, 66, this is our course. We realize that people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they, like me, are sick too. I ask God. So whenever it says in the book to ask God, that's a prayer. We ask God to help us show them, which means to demonstrate the same tolerance, pity, and patience. I would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended me, I said to myself, this is a sick man. I, well, I, I always say I'm sick. How can I be helpful? God, save me from being angry. Thy will be done. Also, um, the resentment prayer. Is there a resentment prayer? I'm sorry, that's exactly what I was just referencing. So if you go to page 66 and 67, whenever the book says we ask, that is a prayer. Okay. All right. And if you want me, yeah, we can review it more later too if you want to give a shout. Okay, thanks. Thank Thank you, Elaine. Mm -hmm. Suzanne Kay, your turn. Star one to unmute, Suzanne. Hi. Yes, sorry, I had to unmute. Hi, good morning. I'm Suzanne Kay uh, from New Jersey. Katie, thanks so much. Um, I've heard you so many times.
Suzanne, we lost you. Try star one to unmute again, please. I'm sorry. I'll start again. Hopefully I won't touch the phone. Suzanne Kay from New Jersey. And just to recap, Katie, I've heard you over the years. Um, so many shares on the big book. Today, I was a little confused, I have to be honest. I know you're, for me, it was like all over the place, but finally you pulled it together for me, and I was starting to understand and follow you. The question I have is, it's kind of like threefold. First of all, I'm newly abstinent and trying to work the steps, and I'm, I'm, I'm working with my sponsor. And I'm, she's asking me, um, well, I'd like to know, what is your conception of God, and how did you give up and practice reliance on God on a daily basis, especially when it seems like you're going through turmoil within family and you have a step four that you're working hard on. And I have trouble with relationships in my family. If you could speak to that. Thanks so much for your service, Katie. Wait, Suzanne, before you go, so you said it was threefold and I'm sorry that I, um, I'm sorry if I confused you. I'm here to answer any questions if you want me to clarify, but I'm not sure what the threefold question is. Could you help me with that? Absolutely. So basically, what is your conception of God of your understanding? And then how did you give up and practice reliance on God on a daily basis? And how that affects relationships you're, that you're struggling with, I guess, within so, your own yeah, yeah, yeah. heart. So what step are you on right now, Suzanne? I'm working on three. Okay. So, I mean, um, oh dear. Okay. So the whole point of the 12 steps is to get a relationship with God. The whole point of learning how to rely on God is by working the 12 steps, an entire abstinence. So I didn't have a relationship with God before I, I worked the steps. Like I started to because God graced me with abstinence. But what our book teaches me is that I am blocked. I can't fully rely on God until I uncover, discover, and discard everything that's not me. And that all, the only way to do that is through working the 12 steps. Um, my relationship with God and my concept of God has continued to evolve and change. I don't find it necessary to define God, although, as I said at the end, I am going to external support to study. Um, for me, that's looking like a specific religious practice to study and expand my understanding and commitment to God. For me, God is love, superhuman, um, my father, um, there to guide me and teach me. But um, what may have been confusing is that I'm not coming to you today, um, to all of you today, saying that um, I broke my abstinence recently. What I'm saying is that through the process of recovery, I have come up against walls um, as an addict that have blocked me from God. And so as a result, I, I continue to do this step. How does that help me with my relationship with others? Well, when I hit step 12, 
I've had a spiritual awakening, which is God, and ideas and emotions and attitudes, which were once the driving force of me, so my selfishness, my self-centeredness, my dishonesty, and my fear are set aside. And a whole new um, set of ideas, emotions, and attitudes begin to dominate me. So what does that look like? How can I be of service? I'm, I don't worry. I don't wake up in the morning thinking about me. I wake up in the morning thinking about God. I ask God how I can fit myself to be of maximum service. Um, it's the death of Katie. When I first started this presentation, I said, uh, breathe in God, breathe out Katie, right? Because selfishness, self-centeredness, that is the root of my problem, and so I don't know what your conception of God will be, but I would hold on to your seat because you're newly abstinent. You're in step three, which is just a decision to follow through with more action to get a relationship with God. Each person in their own words, the whole point of the book is each person in their own words and expressions talk about how they came to develop their own relationship with God. I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Suzanne Kay, for your question. Robin L., your turn. Star one to unmute. Thanks, Leah. This is Robin L., recovered compulsive eater and restrictor in North Carolina. Thank you for your service, Leah. And Katie, thank you for your humility. That just, that was the theme. <laughs> Your humility just uh, spoke to me as loud as your words. My question has to do with waking up in the morning, and you just said it. I don't wake up thinking about me. I think I wake up thinking about God. Um, I do wake up in a lot of selfishness. Now, I've trained myself when I first wake up to start praying, and so that's what I do when I become conscious. I start praying. I say the third step prayer. I say the seventh step prayer. I say, God, please remove this selfishness. But um, I find it distressing that every morning I start in this in this self place and have to kind of clamber back up to the surface. And I was just wondering, what are the practices that are helpful to you? Certainly, I can say prayers and go through the motions, but. Are there things that you're finding that are especially helpful? I was, I was curious about your uh, how you do the third step prayer, and that you're saying, you're saying it also for yourself. Um, God, demonstrate to me that I'm sick, and that uh, you know maybe you could say more about that. That might be the answer. If there's a yeah, help me demonstrate towards myself that I'm sick. What do you do? Um, it doesn't sound like that's your experience right now, so maybe you're not struggling with that. But I'll close and hear what you have to say. Thank you. Robin, you're my teacher. Um, <laughs> it's not every day. There are times that I wake up in terror about myself, um, especially like when as you get older and you're living in a pandemic like all of us are. <laughs> Like, there are definite terrors, but what I find is that the more time I spend thinking and talking and writing about God, the more God comes to my mind. And, um, Robin, I'm the same as you. So if I wake up and I have my selfish thoughts, for me, my practice, I'm down on my knees. 
I'm down on my knees as soon as I get up in the morning. Um, if I have to um, pee, which is often the case, I ask God to forgive me and then, you know, take care of that and come back. I bow my head. Um, but these are all my personal practices. And honestly, Robin, I, there are day, I, I didn't mean, I'm sorry if I sounded like that every day, but I would say more often than not. I know that I'm not worried about myself because the first thing I say is, good morning, God. Now, it may sound like, good morning, God. I'm completely terrified that you forgot to take care of me last night, <laughs> but I'm still saying, good morning, God. So to me, that's progress. And um, in terms of the third step, um, that's not something in the book that's a personal practice. Um, my AA guide and I are going through the work, and what I'm finding is I have to learn to stay out of morbid reflection. Because morbid reflection, whenever I make a mistake, I am the most important person in the room, and I think that my mistake has ruined uh, Overeaters Anonymous, my husband, his family, the dog, and I'm not that important. And so I have to remember, like, I'm spiritually sick too. I, we all wake up with bad breath in the morning. None of us are perfect. So I'm going to make mistakes and spending time, wasting time on hating myself because I don't have a perfect connection with God. Last time I checked, Mother Teresa, who was much better than me, wasn't connected with God all the time. So again, like, it's like, for me, it's about realizing God isn't a feeling, he's a fact. And if I don't feel connected, well, I can pray. I can talk to God. I, I say to God, God, I don't feel you. Like, where are you at? Like, what am I supposed to do? I don't get it. You know, for me, I have a very personal relationship with God, and I talk to him. I'm like, dude, wh where are you? Help me to feel you today. I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Robin L. Rick J., your turn. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Rick J. I'm a compulsive overeater in North Carolina. Thank you so much, Katie. And um, thank you, Leah, for your service as always. And Katie, I love listening um, to your passion, and it really fires me up. And I was writing some stuff down, and I love your question. Am I spiritually awake? Um, you know, um, am I having a dry relationship with God? And I think for me, my struggle still is, you know, I've got a good morning routine and a nightly routine. It's still kicking my ass during the day, though, um, when I'm out there and, you know, life's coming fast and furious as, you know, life is being lifey. And, um, you know, that, uh, you know, that first responder move for me, um, you know, should be to pause and I don't always pause, but when I do, it's, you know, I'm still struggling to find a, a way when I'm, am pausing to unblock myself from God and my understanding and to connect to God, to, to really feel that connection. Do you have a pause routine that you do and if so you know how do you know that your pauses work <laughs> like okay i'm good to go or i need to be you know calling somebody right now um you know and sometimes we don't always have that uh you know that ability to call um someone right there um, but for me that pause is so important 
but I would love to hear your experience, strength, and hope. You know, like what do you do to pause, and how do you know you're, you know, you're connecting to, you know, to God the way you're trying to uh, in the pause. That's it. Thanks, brother Rick. That's a impossible question. I love it. Um, I pretty much plow when agitated. <laughs> so. A couple things I do. One practice um, that I do is I start writing my 11 as a 10, or I start writing my nightly inventory in the middle of the day. So uh, my life gets lively all the time, and so one of my practices now is at about 12 or 1, I'll sit down, I'll write some gratitudes, and I'll pause and I'll reflect, like, how's the day going so far? Like, what's been going on? Um, I can't always call people. Um, if you've heard a three-year-old scream, it's not conducive um, to conversations on the phone. Usually, um, for me, again, I'm a feel-goodaholic, so I want to feel good, and that's not always the case. Um, I can't always feel God. But what I know, Rick, is the voice of God sounds like this. It's um, when I ask a question, the voice, the answer of God is very quiet. It's just quiet. Usually God is telling me to stop. Usually God is telling me to shut my mouth. You do a lot less harm when, or what I'm learning is I do a lot less harm when I shut my mouth when I don't make the phone call, when I don't say anything, when I wait. That's, God is that still small voice. Katie is going, Katie Greenberg, Katie Greenberg, Katie Greenberg, Katie Greenberg, Katie Greenberg, Katie G from Boston, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. To husband, to sponsor, to anyone who will listen, to anyone with a pulse, that's Katie. So that's pretty, like, Probably, like, if I could literally take my pulse, that's the difference between God's voice and my voice, is God's voice is like, stop, stop. And my voice is, you know, saying go. Um, because, again, I do much less amends if I don't say anything and then take an action the next day. Like, what's the rush? There is no rush. There is no rush. That's my experience. Thank you, Rick. And our final question for the morning comes. Thank you, Rick. Our final question for this morning comes Tamara C. Uh, good morning. This is Tamara C. from California. And Katie, thank you. Thank you very much for your service. Um, I just really got so much out of your share, and and you have um, helped me along my journey, and I really appreciate it. You pretty much just answered my question, but perhaps you'll have something else to add. Um, I was Tamara, let's try again. Star one to unmute. Oh, can you hear me okay? Yes, go for the question. Okay, thanks. Um, so the question is, I was especially helped when you talked about um, con when we have a conscious contact with God, then when we're disturbed, we can respond with, uh, I think it was sobriety, calmness, and helpfulness. And I was, um, 
hoping you would share a little bit like what that looks for you, like for you in that moment. Um, because if you're like me and you're still human and when life happens, for me, old responses can get triggered. And um, I'm, I'm, I would be helped if you could share like how you move into that sober, calm, helpful response um, when, when you are yeah. That's a great question. Thank you. So um, I don't. God moves me. And I've actually worked really closely with um, my sponsor, but also a lot of recovered fellows who've walked before me. So one of the issues I struggle with is anger um, and being like saying too much. So um in the beginning with some issues I had with my husband, which include um, him chewing loudly, which is like a, a really bad thing in my life, in my, <laughs> I mean, like really important stuff, right? Your napkin, chewing loudly. So I would make plans of action with my sponsor or other women in recovery and say, okay, so when I feel like the best thing for me about entire abstinence and these 12 steps is I'm getting out of my brain where the problem is and getting into my body. Like for me, God is union with mind and body. And so I can feel that fire. Like, and let's say I start to feel the fire. Well, at first, Tamara, when I felt that fire, I had to leave the room. I would rather people in my family ask me why I randomly leave the room, then ask me why I'm yelling. That's how I started. I then progressed to asking God to sit on my tongue and I would bite my tongue (laughs) as hard as I could. So I kept my mouth shut. And then eventually like yesterday, I would have, I have these small miracles of God where you know, my husband will say something to me, which in the past would make me hot inside. And I could hear his point and say, you know what, you're right, I was pigeonholing you. So I, um, I'm not one who believes like I know that God, this is a six and seven, I know God removes my character defects. But it's very important to me, just like I have a plan of eating to be proactive with the character defect. So I co-create with God. Like, I'm like, okay, God, this is how I'm going to try. And these are the things I'm going to try. And I only know that like through getting to know my character defects through repeated humiliation. Like, I just want to wrap up by saying, please go to the page in the AA 12 and 12 that talks about we only learn by repeated humiliation. That's been my experience. And so get to know your character defect, get to know what the opposite is, and then ask us, right? Like ask all of us, well, how do you work on that? Or how do you work on that? That's been so helpful. And yes, it is a human power, um, but so is a plan of eating. And I believe that God works through these human powers. Um, and I'm so far from perfect. I mess up every day. I mess up because I'm in this world. And, um, and I mess up because I'm not meant to not mess up. Because I'll tell you what, pain brings me to God. Pleasure does not. It never does. Getting married, having children brought me to God for like 30 seconds. What brings me to God on my knees is pain. So if you're in pain, you're in a good place um, for progress. And that's my message. (laughs) 
Thank you. Thanks, Tamara C. Thanks to all who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you so much, Katie, for giving so much of yourself. It's been truly delightful. Thank you for this helpful presentation. The share ID for today's presentation, 18,448. That's 18448. And we will now close from page 164 from a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.